folks to uh, the latest edition of uh, Smith and Hessen. Ian Smith here in uh, Sunny and uh, Mike Hessen on the other side of the world's bubble uh, in the UAE, but in sunshine. Well, Mike, welcome in. Now uh, we're around about match, I think, 39 of 56 in the IPL. So I, I suppose you'd say on that you're past the halfway mark. Yeah, we well, we've played either nine or ten games of their 14. So. Uh, yeah, we've certainly got over the hump, which is which is good, and that obviously included a month prior too. So we're certainly on a downward stretch. Right, let's look at the table then. Uh, at the moment, the Delhi Capitals are on top. They've played ten matches with fourteen points. So uh, the Mumbai Indians, who were in a thrill the other night, uh, but missed out. They had nine games from twelve. Uh, yourself, uh, the Royal Challengers, Bangalore, uh, nine matches, twelve points. Brendan McCullum's KKR and nine from ten. Kings eleven, Punjab ten, eight. Uh, the Rajasthan Royals, 10 matches played with eight points. Uh, Kane Williamson, Sunrisers, Hyderabad, languishing a wee bit at the bottom of the table. And the surprise of all, I think, the Chennai Super Kings, who are three times winners of this competition. In fact, they won it just 2018, are at the foot of the table, having played 10 games. And, of course, they've only got six points. So we might as well start there. Uh, you know Flem very well. You know Emmy Stoney very well. Um, two I suppose you'd say legendary figures in the IPL. They've been institutions almost. Are they under pressure? Look, they are. I mean, the reality is they've never not made the semi-finals. So you know, so many years. Obviously, the last ten they've been right in the hunt, but they've yeah they've never missed out. So I guess their fans, um, you know, MS Doney, Stephen Fleming have never been through that period where they've you know potentially going to miss out. Um, and if they do, um, it's probably a reflection of of the last auction. And I think. Um, you know, Stephen Fleming be the first to admit they they selected a squad uh, with a lot of experience and primarily for the first couple of years. And it's fair to say that um, that, that group's an ageing group and uh, they'll be certainly keen to head to the auction and just get a bit of fresh um, vibrancy into that group. But, I mean, they're, look, they're skillful um, and on any day they can beat anyone, but probably lacking that consistency because so many of their guys are just not playing regular cricket. Well, you know how volatile a, a, an industry it is in terms of employment because the you know, the stakes are high and the numbers are high. Does that place Stephen Fleming as a long-time coach or, at, in fact, MS Dhoni under pressure at the head of it? Look, I wouldn't think so because, as I said, they've had so much success over such a period of time. But but it is ruthless. Um, it is a ruthless industry. And, um, you know, who knows? The owners might just think that they need some fresh blood in there. But, I mean, to be fair to Fleming, he's probably been the most successful IPL coach in history. So... Uh, I think one bad year, if they were to make a change there, I think that would be a bit harsh. OK, you've uh, got at the top. He sounds, seems to have found a, a pretty good formula, doesn't he? And, and white ball cricket, of course, Australia used him in the, the latest Cricket World Cup. But he's uh, not only been a successful player in the IPL, he's found success uh, now with uh, his second franchise and the Delhi Capitals. And, of course, the captain is Suresh Iyer, who was uh, a player that you'd talked highly about on India's latest tour of New Zealand earlier this year, uh, a, a real player on the improve and one to look out for. So that, that's an interesting combination. What has made them so so good so far? Well, I think they're, they're top four all Indian. So top four batting lineup, um, it allows them a lot of flexibility in their side. So the fact they've got um, Shikadawan, who's in great touch, they've got Prithvi Shaw, uh, Rishabh Pant and Shreyas Iyer as their top four batting side. So. Therefore, you can stack the middle order uh, with experience and overseas talent and it allows them to play two genuine quicks, which they've got in, in Rabada and, and not care. So 
um, you know, you add to that a couple of Indian spinners and um, Ravi Ashwin and Axar Patel, and you've got a, you know, you've got a fantastic lineup. So, uh, but I think the strength it all starts the fact they've been able to um, hang on to young talent and they've been able to fill up the top four of their batting lineup with Indian talent. And I think, you know, a lot of a lot of sides look at that and go, well, look, that'd be a great position to be in. But but they've done it through some some good planning over over a number of years. Right, that's a good point, actually, and a good point for us to jump in and look at the top run scorers because. As you mentioned, Shikha Darwan, uh, he's second in terms of aggregate, Mike, with 465 runs at a great average of 66.42. But gee, I, I tell you, a player who continues to impress, it seems game after game, whether it's with the gloves, whether it's leadership or, or his batting, in fact, is Kale Rahul. He's having some tournament, in fact, some year or two. Yeah, he is. I mean, look, he's a fine player, and I was fortunate enough to work with him last year at Kings Eleven. Um, so that when you see guys firsthand, you work out just how good they are. And he's certainly talented. He's taken over the captaincy this year. It is a challenge, um, you know, when the, the side got off to a tough start, um, for him to, to still be able to bat the way he has and, and show the skill that he has, um, you know, shows he's obviously got a huge future. He's taken on the gloves with a, a bit more seriously um, in the last 12 to 18 months because he sees an opportunity with India. Um, and that certainly hasn't affected his batting, as you can see. So, um, look, he's a he's a fine player. He's certainly a player that whenever any side goes against them, they spend plenty of time trying to scout. Uh, and we're certainly no different. Let's go to the bowling side of it, Mike. We've been waiting, I think, for quite some time for the spinners to kick in. But as I look at it, it's still the big boys that are doing the damage. Rabada, Shami, Boomer and uh, Archer, of, of, in terms of overall match statistics, are the top four. Uh, your man Chahal, of course, is the top spinner at the moment with 13 wickets after nine matches. Uh, but what about the pitches? Have they held on better than you thought, or is it just the style of cricket? No, I think they have held on better. Um, I think the last you know, third will be interesting because they're certainly going back through the pitches at least for a second time, but, uh, but often for a third time. And reality is they are going to get slower. But um, you know, they, they keep putting the old rolled grass into them and, and it just keeps giving them life. So I think they're used to getting, you know, eight, nine, ten games out of some of these surfaces. But those quicks you've talked about are all, like, they're all they're all fast. Um, so they run in, they, they bash a length. And if there is any variable bounce, they do um, create some challenges. And they also bowl at the death. And there was no, uh, it was pretty noticeable when we looked at the stats here that the top four sides are the four best death bowling sides. Um, and they're basically in the same order that the, the current points table is. So it uh, just shows the importance of death, shows importance of those quicks that you're talking about to sort of control the back end of the innings. And just to back up your point perfectly, your Lockie Ferguson gets one crack of the whip, one chance, and makes a heck of an impression, bowling as quickly as 152.38 kilometres per hour. He was clocked at. Uh, but out of the 27 balls he bowled, seven were over 150. He got wickets three for 15 in his four overs and bowled the super over. So I don't know if Brendan's been keeping him on ice for any particular reason, but boy, he's fired up, Lockie. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. He's certainly come out hot, hasn't he? Like he's been sitting there waiting. You know, Pat Cummins has, has played all those games and there's been a lot of talk about the big four at KKR. You know, Russell Narayan, uh, Cummins and, and Morgan and Ferguson sitting there going, crikey, I'd love a chance. Um, and even even Green um, Green got a crack in Banton as well. So Ferguson was sort of the seventh overseas player to be used. And Gigi bowled well. I mean, he bowled fast. Probably the worst ball he bowled was the first one that got Kane Williamson out, caught it third man. But outside of that, he uh, yeah he bowled superbly, good change of pace, and obviously took the pressure of the super over and 
knocked uh, Davey Warner over first ball to sort of set the tone again. So I'm pretty sure that uh, he's going to be playing the rest of the matches, I'd imagine. Trent Bolt, Kane Williamson, Jimmy Neesham, uh, the other guys that have been involved from New Zealand's point of view. Uh, but their performances have not really hit dizzy heights. Uh, Kane in particular. Trent might be just getting a little bit fatigued as they're going downhill. Uh, Mitchell Santner, Mitch McLennigan, it's been a long uh, IPL, a long time over there for those guys without any playing time at all. Yeah, look, it's tough. I mean, for someone like um, like Bolte to to have to play every game, um, you know, in the heat is challenging. And I see that, you know, a lot of sides are looking to just rotate their quicks a little bit. Um, I mean, it is only four overs, but, it, you know, it's potentially over 40 degrees at times, um, especially the day game. So there is a level of fatigue. There's, there's a bit of travel, a couple of hours bus trip here and there. So it does take its toll. Um, but Bolte, I mean, he came back really well, Trent, uh, in the last over of the game against Kings Eleven, uh, they think they needed nine off the last over, and he was able to get it to the super over. So he came back strong. Um, you know he loves those pressure situations, but um, obviously the second super over, Chris Gale took toll to him. But um, look, he's been good. Kane, yeah, Kane looked like he struggled with a hamstring uh, or an adductor the other day. So they obviously promoted him to the top, which is probably where he looks most comfortable. But uh, certainly worried about his injury. Let's uh, look at what you've got ahead of you. Are we talking to you, correct me if I'm wrong, is this match day for you? Sure is. So we're off to Abu Dhabi soon. So it's um, it's 8 o'clock in the morning here. Uh, we'll head off uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon to head to Abu Dhabi to, to take on KKR. So Ferguson, as you've just talked about, and obviously Brendan's team. So, um, yeah, certainly looking forward to, to having a crack at them today. What, what, is, what else, apart from that travel, how long is it? And what does match day entail? under COVID arrangements, et cetera? Yeah, look, as we said, we're in our bubble, so we'll have a meeting about 15 to 20 minutes before we jump on the bus. So we sort of set the tone around how we want to operate during the day. Um, we'll get to the ground early. Um, because we go through customs, obviously we stop at the border um, and there's some protocols to go through there when you get to Abu Dhabi um, and you can't send an advance party either. So we'll get there. We'll sort of have to wait for a while for food um, because our food will be traveling with us. So. We have to travel with all our catering staff because um, they all stay in the bubble as well. So when we arrive, yeah, an hour or so of downtime and then straight into training. But we keep the, the warm-ups pretty short generally because of the heat. Wow, it's, just, it's, it's, you know, it's something you just take for granted. But uh, it's, it's so unique, this whole situation, isn't it? Look, one of your guys is, um, has been very, very good for you, uh, A.B. De Villiers. Now, We've talked a little bit about him before, but I just want to feature him <clears throat> excuse me, on, on a slightly bigger scale today because I, I believe it's such a big shame to world cricket that because he's still so good at what he does, we don't see him playing international cricket to the extent I think that perhaps we should. Why is that, Micah? Is it, is it a personal thing? Has it been a, a team issue situation? Because, man, the game needs its best, and he's still right in that bracket. Look, he sure is. And to be fair, when you play against him every now and again, you know that he's good. But when you see them every day, you work out how good he is. And he is, like, exceptional. Um, and, yeah, world cricket is certainly um, worse off without seeing him during the world events. I know he was looking at playing in the T20 World Cup uh, when it was, was planned to go in Australia. Um, and obviously South Africa have their own issues going on at the moment, which... Um, you know, I guess when you're at the back end of your career, you've got to make a decision around whether that's something you want to be involved in or not um, in terms of all the, the politics surrounding that. So, I mean, A.B. de Villiers has played an awful lot of international cricket. He's, he's certainly towards the, the back end of his career uh, from a physical point of view, but 
he's still amazing. Um, and sure, we, we do miss out um, seeing him on the world stage, but um, as I said, the South African situation is pretty, um, it, it's pretty untidy at the moment. And I guess you've just got to decide whether you want to be involved in it. Okay, we'll leave the IPL there and uh, good luck, by the way, and, and you know, clash with Brendan this time around. Uh, the women's BBL starts this weekend uh, in Australia and on Sky Sport. 11 New Zealand girls uh, taking part this this time around, Mike. Uh, they're a bit luckier than you. They've got 59 matches in all, but they're in Sydney for five weeks, which makes uh, your stay seem, <laughs> seem quite exaggerated. Yeah, look, it's a great tournament, isn't it? The WBBL, and, and uh, you know they run it nicely. Often they run it alongside the the men's or or lead into it. But in itself, it's a fantastic tournament. I mean, to have eleven white ferns over there, even just for their experience, forget the fact that um, they're going to add to the entertainment. They're actually going to come back better players as well, having played in a high quality tournament. So um, I see Sophie Devine's changed. Uh, she was at the Adelaide Strikers with Susie Bates, um, and they combined were superb. So. She's moved to the other side of the country into Perth, um, and they're a you know pretty passionate bunch. And I think she's taken over the captaincy there, so um, it'll be great to see how she goes. But um, yeah, I mean, 11, 11 white ferns—it's a fantastic opportunity for them. Just finally, Mike, uh, on a sad note, um, last week we lost uh, John R. Reid, the great Bogo, CNZM OBE, much decorated man and a highly respected man, not just in New Zealand cricket but in world cricket. He was. Um, he was our elder statesman, really, um, uh, and David White quite rightly said uh, he is the Colin Meads of New Zealand cricket, or he was the Colin Meads of New Zealand cricket. 58 tests, uh, and I'll tell you what, we didn't play a lot of test cricket back when he played, Mike. 1949 to 1905, his career, 16 years, just under four test matches a year on average. Man, how many would he have racked up these days? Well, probably three times that, at least, if he played for New Zealand, if he played for one of the bigger countries, maybe four or five times that. So an incredible player. You're right, he was a, an icon of New Zealand cricket. Um, was fortunate enough to sit next to him at a Lord's lunch uh, for a couple of hours and basically just sit and listen um, to, to the stories about his playing days and, and also how he interpreted the modern game. Uh, and he still had some great insight into the, the way the game's played now. So uh, he will surely be, be sorely missed. Um, you know, you know, a lot of time that I was able to spend with them. Um, but, yeah, what a great ambassador for New Zealand cricket. Yeah, father of Richard as well, who played uh, one-day international cricket for New Zealand. 34 games as captain, actually, John Reid. So, very experienced in that department. He was a New Zealand selector from 75, 1975 to 78. He actually coached cricket in South Africa. He spread his knowledge and the world as well. Uh, I remember him of late, uh, earlier in the century. He was a, a match referee for 10 years. And he ruled with an iron fist. He was one of the originals. And, man, he was tough. He didn't like. Uh, he didn't get on well with the Pakistanis. He suspended Wakar Yunus. He fined Azamar Mood. And he looked into Shaul back to his uh, action. Just, just the name. <laughs> he, I remember he had a... He was out there on a pitch. I think it was in Faisalabad and boycott, Jeff Boycott. Could be pretty feisty. He kicked him off. Boycott was trying to do a pitch report, and John R. Reid kicked him off the pitch, and uh, because he was getting onto the danger area when he was doing his pitch report, so he biffed Boycott off the pitch, and they had a bit of a set to. But John Reid was never going to back down, and Boycott lost that one as well. So it was, it was a strong-willed man, um, and very fondly remembered.
how damn good he was, a player um, ahead of his time, really, who probably, you know, you, you look at players that could transcend eras in the game. Uh, I think he probably could have gone quite close to that. And when he passed away, actually, Mikey was New Zealand's oldest living New Zealand test cricketer. So um, that's John R. Reid. I don't know if you've got uh, anything else to add, mate. We we uh, we won one test and uh, one Bledisloe Cup test, and we drew one. I know, and you had to watch it on uh, and endure the Australian commentators who must have been a bit subdued second time round. But All Blacks looked good at the weekend. Yeah, look, they did, and and I think we all loved uh, Caleb Clark and and what he offered to the scene. But yeah, I can assure you, as an All Black fan, um, if you can avoid listening to the Australian commentary, you'll have a better day. Right, we'll do that at all costs. So uh, those All Black tests will be coming in on Sky uh, on Channel 51 when uh, New Zealand, uh, when the All Blacks manage to get across the Tasman and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get some New Zealand commentary on that. Mike, uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Stay safe, travel well today and uh, good luck against uh, KKR and uh, give our best to Brendan. Will do. Cheers, Smithy. Thanks, guys. Thank you.